Okay, so say we've been looking at the life of Samuel. Um, just to give you a bit of background, because it will help you to hook in if you haven't been here for the previous weeks. Samuel was a prophet raised up by God. That means that he was someone who, who could hear the heart of God and communicate that to his people in a way that changed and shaped the way that they lived and the things that they did. He lived in a time that wasn't particularly great for the people of Israel. It was a time where at the beginning of his, his kind of period of hearing God, there was no king in the people of Israel. Judges described it that it's like people did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Um, and generally speaking, that wasn't right uh, because often our eyes are skewed, aren't they? It's God's eyes that are right. Um, so there was a lot of bad stuff going on. And God raised up Samuel, even from being a small, small child, um, to be one who would speak his heart and give direction to the people of God. So he did that from being very young, as we heard when Rebecca started the series a few weeks ago. She told us about the beginning of Samuel's life. Um, And he did that and he did a good job and he became a leader of the people because he heard from God. He was a spiritual leader, but actually the people weren't happy with that. They didn't think that was enough and so they complained and they petitioned for actually a king to make them just like everybody else. They're they're the chosen out people of God, but they said actually everyone else has got a king and we want one too. Um, I have a small child and I've learned very much that whatever anyone else has got, he wants. Until they've got it, he doesn't want it. As soon as they've got it, even at eight months old, he goes for it and the people of Israel are a bit like that. They say everyone else has got a king give me one Um, so God and Samuel relent and they do and they give him a king called Saul Um, and a few weeks ago Philip spoke about the passage where Samuel steps down and says you've chosen to have a king as your ruler so I will no longer lead you as your spiritual leader he's still around but God's anointing has now fallen on the king Saul King Saul does some good stuff, he does some bad stuff, he's a human being, that's what we tend to do, Um, and I'm going to talk a bit more about Saul this week, in the end he blows it big time, and actually my title for today is Saul's final battle, it isn't literally his final battle, after the account that I'm going to give today, he does actually stick around on the throne, but he shouldn't, because God's anointing has come off him because he blows it, those of you who watch Friends will understand that, that reference says the one where he blows it because he monumentally blows it. And so then God's anointing moves on from Saul and actually moves to a man called David, and you heard about that last week. So that just gives you a context of where we are and where we're at. We've got quite a long story. I'm not going to be able to cover the whole story today. So I would ask you, I'd implore you, because I really believe God is speaking to us as a church about this, actually to go home and read the whole chapter. What I'm going to do is, if I can make the clicker work, oh, check that out. I'm so excited. I can never make the clicker work, so I'm quite excited by that. What I want to do today is I'm just going to summarize the story. There are going to be chunks of the scripture in my summary, but there are going to be chunks that are out of it because I just don't have time to cover it all, despite the speed at which I talk. Um, And I want to summarize, just to give it a bit of structure and to help you follow where we're going. I'm going to look at the story under four main headings that will be very useful for us later on. The first is the call. That's where this story starts. We're then going to look at Saul's response to the call, what he does with it. We're then going to look at how God responds to what Saul's done. And then actually the place I want to dwell for the longest is how God's called us to respond in the light of that. So that is where we're going. So with no further ado, let's go. Oh, I feel like I've gone on too. I have. So um, let's look first of all at the call. This happens at the beginning of the story. So in verse 1, it's a good place to start, generally speaking. So Samuel said to Saul, I am the one that the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, 
Attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle, sheep, camels and donkeys. So here's the call or the instruction to Saul. In some ways, it's a very difficult one for us to read with modern eyes. Um, I don't apologize for that because it's in the scripture, but I think I can give some form of explanation. Some of that will come now, and some of that explanation will come later. So don't lose me because of what some of this says. So the call is both very, very severe, and it is very specific. And this is specific almost to the point of pedantic, right? So you could say, now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them, full stop. The next sentence almost feels slightly over the top if you don't read the rest of the story because God goes on to really make sure that there is no room for Saul to be at all confused by this or claim any confusion. He is very, very specific. He says even down to children and infants. That's very difficult to read, but he's making sure that he's clarifying, no, absolutely everybody, and not only that, but cattle, sheep, animals, and donkeys, not just animals, really really specific now there are reasons for that and it's very important that we understand those and Samuel himself refers to them when he says I'll punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt see there's a historical context this instruction that makes it make sense so we're going to have a look at the history for a minute there we go the history bit so the people of Israel used to live in Egypt And they used to be slaves ruled over by the Pharaoh and they were treated very, very badly. God raised up another prophet in that time, a man called Moses. This is about 400 years before Samuel. And Moses led the people out of Israel and they passed through the Red Sea and they were walking in God's purposes towards God's promised land as God had promised that he would do to them when actually the Amalekites out of nowhere came up against them very, very violently. And there was a very ferocious battle that was unprovoked and they started it basically, um, in the playground form. Now, this story, you probably know it because it's quite a famous one because the battle was really, really serious. It was very, very bloody. And Moses realized that actually this could be the end of it. This could be God's purpose actually cut very, very short because the Amalekites were really going for it. They're bloodthirsty people. So what Moses did, he said, Joshua, you lead the army. And Moses went up and stood on a hill. And when he had his arms raised in prayer, then the Israelites were winning. When his arms dropped, the Amalekites were winning. So people had to come and hold his hands. It's a famous story. We know it. The important bit is the promise that comes at the end of it. So the Lord says to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to remember and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely block out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. See, God's direction to Saul is very severe and very specific because of the history, because God has spoken. And he said, People have come against me and my throne. The Amalekites have raised up against me. And therefore, there will be punishment. There has to be. There has to be. And that is why his instruction to Saul is very clear and very specific. There's a 400-year lapse in between these two things. But do you know what? God doesn't forget what he said. And sometimes there's a very long wait when we're waiting for God to fulfill a purpose that he said he's going to do. That doesn't mean he's not going to do it. See, the scripture says that for God, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. There are promises and purposes that he has spoken maybe thousands of years ago, but he has not forgotten them and he does not want us to forget them. And actually, he uses Samuel, and he uses a prophetic word to actually give Saul a golden invitation to join God in fulfilling his purpose in his generation. 
He's given him an invitation, said, now is the time that you can partner with me and together we can bring into being a promise that I spoke over my people long, long, long ago. It's a golden invitation. We're going to speak about golden invitations later, but as the people of God, I'm always getting on to my response now because I, I don't think you can say it enough, but as a people of God, we are also given golden invitations by God to step into purposes with him and partner with him to bring into being things that he has spoken and promised over his people generations ago. It's been generations, it doesn't mean that God's forgotten, it doesn't mean that he's blown it. Actually, generations can come and go, God knows what he said. The Bible says that God's word will not return to him void. The things that he has promised over his people, come enemies, come seasons, come changes, come confusion, God's purposes stand firm for generations and his purposes stood for Saul. So here's Saul's golden opportunity, his golden call. I must move on because I'm not even on our response bit yet. I'm just a bit excited. So we're, we're going to look quickly at Saul's response. I'm going to go through it fast. So basically, Saul then attacked the Amalekites all the way from one place to another near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, Oh, and the best of the sheep and the cattle and the fat of calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Do you know, again, I just felt stirred by God at the tragedy of this. You see, last week we heard that when God appointed David, he said, I don't look with the eyes of man. Man looks at the outward appearance and I look at the heart. I just wonder how many kingdoms have risen and fallen where you could give exactly the same summary, that they were unwilling to destroy completely everything that was good, but that was despised and weak, they completely destroyed. Isn't that a summary of the human condition and the human heart? Saul responded in a very human way and he destroyed what was weak and what was despised, but he saw value in things that God saw no value in uh, and there, there lies his downfall. So, that was his response. Um, let's have a look at how God responds. Have I done that? Yes, I have. So, let's look quickly at God's response. Um, I'm going to, yeah, yeah. So, the word of the Lord came to Samuel, and he said, I regret that I've made Saul king, because he's turned away from me, and he has not carried out my instructions. And it says, Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. What I would ask you to do at this point, if you've got a highlighter in your mind, um, could you please take out your mental highlighter and I would like you to highlight that last sentence because um, it's very important and we're going to come back to it because I think God's really spoken to me about that. But for now, I'm going to leave that hanging in the mystery of what is she going to say and move on. What else did God say? What else was God's response? Well, Samuel reached out to... Oh, so here we go. So... Um, so Samuel goes to speak to Saul. So he spent all night with God and then he goes to speak to Saul to sort it out. But Saul actually gets him on the way and he says, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. See, Saul's really excited. He thinks he's done a good job. Or at least he's willing to masquerade of ha having done a good job. The thing that I haven't been here, but now I'm going to talk about it for longer, so I might as well have written in, is actually, ironically, when Saul gets back from this battle, just like Moses built an altar, Saul also built an altar. But actually, Moses' altar built 400 years before was called the Lord is my banner. The altar that Saul built is purely in his own honor because he's won a really good victory. So Samuel says, what is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? It's a little bit like a pantomime, isn't it? It's like you said you followed out God's instruction, but I was very specific. 
I didn't even just say animals. I made sure that you knew that I meant the cattle and the donkeys and the calves. What's this I can hear? So Saul answered, the soldiers bought from the Amalekites, they, sp they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. The thing that's worth just pointing out is actually what Saul had done when he allowed the people to take the best actually it was entirely disobedient but it wasn't it wasn't against the practice of the day actually that was standard practice what Saul did was what seemed sensible and what in every other battle was actually allowed so that is the way that soldiers got their pay actually was to take the spoils from battle what makes it different in this case is God has specifically told him not to but actually what he did was common sense Okay, he felt like it was common sense, and now he's trying to justify it by saying, oh, actually, it was about God. It's a bit of a backtrack. Enough, Samuel says to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul says. You get a sense he doesn't know what's coming. But Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of all the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission, saying, go and completely destroy all those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? See, once again, God's eyes see things differently to us. I'd remind you again that when God then picks out David, he says, I do not judge like people judge. You look at the outward appearance, I look at the heart. See, in the eyes of the soldiers, Saul had done what made sense. They'd come out of a reasonable salary from that. It was, it was a good job. They were probably quite happy. But in the eyes of the Lord, he had done evil because God looks at the heart. It's so critical. So it goes on. So essentially now Saul starts arguing. He starts saying, no, come on. I did all right. I didn't do so bad. I went on the mission that the Lord assigned me to. I did destroy the Amalekites. I just brought back Agag. The soldiers took sheep and cattle, the best of which they've devoted to God in order to sacrifice the Lord your God at Gilgal. But do you know then Samuel says something really critical. He says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed or to obey is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and the arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord's rejected you as king. And then what follows is that Samuel then goes uh, and gets David and anoints him. What also follows is that Samuel in the end does do away with Agag. That's at the end of the chapter. Have a look at that too. But right now what I want to do instead is just focus really on our response as a church and what I believe that God is speaking to us from this story or account. The first thing is clear, and I, I alluded to it enough before, Saul was given a golden opportunity, actually. We can often, because Saul ends badly, we always think of Saul as a bad king, but actually Saul was God's anointed and he was picked out prophetically and very clearly to lead the people. And actually God had given him an opportunity now to step into his purposes, to partner with him, to bring into being that that God said was going to be. Saul blew it, but actually we are now the people of God. We are those who've been anointed. We've been called out prophetically to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And actually there are promises in scripture that God speaks that actually prophetically he is bringing into being and he's inviting us as his church to step into those. Just like Saul was given a golden ticket, God this morning is giving us as his people a golden ticket. Scripture is full of promises that God speaks over his church and his people where he says that his church is going to expand and expand and fill the whole earth. Do you know what? That is me and that is you and that is us. 
actually that is what God's called us to. There is an invitation to partner with him. He says that whoever believes in him will do the works that he did. This is Jesus. So we'll do the things that he did and even greater things than these because he goes to the Father and then he gives us that invitation as his people. He says that he'll build his church and the, people of, uh, and the um, gates of hell will not prevail against it. He says, that go and proclaim that the kingdom of uh, heaven has come. Go and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons. See, these are things that God has spoken over his church. And actually, prophetically, he ignites them and he says, now's the time. Now's the time. See, he's not slumbering or sleeping. He hasn't forgotten what he said. But he does invite us to partner with him. Did God need Saul to wipe out the Amalekites? No, he didn't. See, if you read accounts like Sodom and Gomorrah, you see that God is perfectly capable of wiping out a nation when he wants to. He doesn't have a problem with that. He didn't need Saul. He chose Saul. He wanted Saul. He wanted that partnership. Does God need us? No, but he does want us. And he is inviting us and he is calling us. So as a church, we are to partner with him. And what is our currency and what does partnership look like? Well, it looks like obedience. What has God said to us and are we doing it? And that's corporate and it's individual. What has God said to us and has, has he done it? have we done it? See, the Bible says that God is searching for the earth for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. There's something about obedience that quickens God's heart far more than sacrifice, which can be alluded to being just religious observance and doing what you think is right, coming to church, etc., etc. All those things are important, but actually it's obedience and heart that interests God. And it's that that he's searching for, and he's searching us out in this day and this age. Okay, the next part of our response. Here we go. Have I clicked it on? Yeah. I've made this point before when um, I spoke about Elisha a, a while ago, but I still feel that, that God's making the same point, so I'm going to make the same point. Sometimes when we read accounts of heroes, that particularly in the Old Testament, like Elisha during that series or like Samuel, we tend to see them in almost a conversation or dialogue with someone else and it's easy to identify with that other person, think I'm like them and God's like Samuel or God's like Elisha. That's, that's the other part. Um, and I really think that God is uh, in a process of changing our mentality because actually we are to be Samuel in this story. We're not to be Saul, we're to be Samuel. God has called us to be Samuels in our generation, in our time. See, Judges says that this was a season in which people did what was right in their own eyes. And has that ever been more true? No, it hasn't. Actually, we are living in a time in which we need a prophetic voice to be raised up over the church, over the people of God, that this nation could be in a different place. I'm going to take us back quickly to a bit that I highlighted before, or well, you all highlighted in your minds. I'm not going to take the size back purely because I'm not confident I can get back to here, so I hope your highlighters were good. But I'll remind you, just in case you've forgotten. See, when God spoke to Samuel and he said that Saul had blown it, then in verse 11, it says, Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. I really, see, God spoke to me about this, but he spoke to me about it after I'd done my slides, which is why the slide isn't up there. That's why you needed your highlighters. But I really believe that there are some angry people in this room. And actually, I think this week, there have been an awful lot of angry people in this nation. Um, and when I say that, I say that with real respect for saying, I'm, I, I think on both sides of the referendum argument, there is reason for anger. I think there is. So I stand behind everything that's been said about unity. I absolutely agree that. But actually, we stand in a nation that is divided, and we should all be angry about that. I don't care how you voted. 
you should be angry that we're standing at the moment in a nation in which there is hate and hostility between people, between neighbours, between families. We're living in a nation that's been torn apart. And actually, it, everything that has been said about us bringing healing and peace and, and justice in this is absolutely correct. But that doesn't mean that you can't be angry. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be angry. We should be angry. God calls us to be angry because he is angry. Actually, as we identify with God's heart, we should be angry. But what we do with that anger is critical. Really, really critical. Actually, Samuel was a man of God and he was angry. But what did he do? He cried out to God all night. And I feel massively convicted myself and what I have done with my anger because I have not cried out to God all night. I haven't. I haven't. But we are called to be Samuels in our generation because we need to be, because it's serious, because there is a world dying and the stakes are high. And actually God says, will we be those who take our anger and cry out to him all night? We've spoken about the 36 hours of prayer. It's great. It's not enough, but it's great. It's a good start. Where's your name on that sheet? As a church, can we cry out to God? Can we cry out to God? I think there's that sense of because we know we're called to bring peace, you feel like maybe I shouldn't be angry or I need to suppress that or I need to hold that down and I need to just say it's all okay and let's move on and let's look on the bright side. No, we should be angry. That is okay and uh, that, that is genuinely true whichever way you voted because actually that, that vote speaks to the state of our nation and that should make us angry. And so actually I just really feel like God wants to mobilise us into saying direct your anger to him. Direct your anger to him. There might be time for action. Actually, Samuel did after this act. So he acted, he, he spoke to Saul, he killed Agag himself. There was action to come, but actually first it was right and it was okay to be angry. But he gave that anger to God and he spent a night on his knees before God for his nation. Um, and that is what God calls us to do in this day. The second thing that I believe God will call us today and what it means to be Samuels is to pursue the gift of prophecy. And I really believe that God is saying there is a prophetic anointing over us as a people that we must step into. We must. And I believe that is for individuals. I believe, Sue, God is raising the authority that you have in the prophetic realm for, for bigger things that would change and shape the direction of where things go. I believe there are others that God is raising up. And as an individual, you might know that's you now. I believe there'll be some of you where your heart is beating a bit faster. Maybe you think, oh, I can't be a prophet. I can't do that, but God is speaking to you because we need a prophetic voice at this time. See, there was a battle, Saul was in a battle, but actually it was prophecy that directed where he goes. It was prophecy that brought back to life a 400-year-old promise of God and said, now is the time. We need prophetic voices in our church and in our nation who will do that, who will say, now is the time. We need that. It's really, really critical that we have that. So if that's you, if you believe clearly you have that prophetic anointing or that God's stirring you, even if you're scared of it, I would urge you to get prayed for at the end. I'd urge you to do that because actually we need you to step into that. I had a picture a few weeks ago during worship and I felt at the time it was very clearly for me and where I was at and therefore I didn't say anything. We then, we've been away for a couple of weeks and I heard that actually while we were away, John Wood brought a very, very similar picture for the church and therefore I believe now my picture is for the church. And my picture was of a scuba diver who was fully, fully prepped for proper scuba diving, right? So he had his flippers on, had his wetsuit, had his oxygen pack, he had his face mask, his goggles. He was like ready for business. But the problem was that he was stood just on the edge of the shore paddling, holding the hands of some children with their um, armbands on. 
And he looked ridiculous because those weren't the waters that he was made for. And I believe that God is saying that we as a church are called and equipped for deep water. I really believe that God is saying he has called us out and given us what we need to swim in much deeper water with him than we're in. And he is calling us to do that. And sometimes we feel stifled by that because it doesn't feel like the logical thing to do. See, the logical thing for Saul to do is what he did. He went and he he did the practice of his day. He took the best and took plunder and that. It all seemed very sensible. There was a logical plan, but it wasn't what God had said. And it wasn't what he called him to. And actually God was calling him into radical obedience. And I believe that's what God's calling us too, and that's something that's over us as a church. So, I just want to talk very quickly about the nature of prophecy, because obviously the, the beginning of my talk said this is one where Saul blew it, and I think it's important just to cover that slightly. See, Saul did blow it, and that's the thing with prophecy. See, prophecy is not the same as going to a fortune teller or getting your um, tarot cards read. Those things are just telling you what the future will be, and you become almost a victim to it. So, a good friend of mine often goes to fortune tellers, and she is a victim to what they say. Prophecy is not like that. Prophecy is God revealing his heart to us and inviting us to partner with him and kind of giving us an invitation for unusual favour and blessing as we walk in that and obey that. But it is possible to disobey that and not do it. And actually there are consequences to that. It's not saying this is inevitable. It's saying, will you come with me and I'm going to bless you. And you can or can't go. Saul didn't go. As a result... There were consequences. So actually Saul himself, when he was eventually killed, guess who killed him? It was an Amalekite. It's interesting, isn't it? Actually, David spent much of his reign battling the Amalekites. Actually, if you know your Bible as well, you know that many years later there's a book of Esther in which once again people came up against the people of Israel and there's a bad man, a definite baddie called Haman. You can tell by a name, can't be good, right? So he raised up against the people of Israel and he made a plot to completely wipe them out once and for all. And actually he came this close and took miraculous intervention to stop that. Interestingly... Haman was a descendant of Agag, who Saul spared. See, so Saul didn't do what God had asked him to do, and there were consequences. Now, ultimately, God is sovereign, and the Amalekites have been wiped out. No one talks about them anymore. If you're outside of a church context and you start talking about wanting to go on holiday to Amalek or hang out with the Amalekite people, people are going to look at you like you're very strange because God is sovereign, and he did fulfill his purpose like he spoke to Moses. But it was done in a much more uncomfortable and unpleasant route because actually God had called Saul to obedience and he didn't obey. And that's the nature of prophecy. So I feel there's something about really holding, when we know we've heard God speak, holding that with appropriate weight, actually. I love the fact that in the first six hours of prayers we've had, actually we've been remembering together prophetic words that God's spoken over us as a church. I love that. I love it that those words have been there and we've been encouraged to pray through them again. I just feel that is something of God to say, actually, hold what he said with the right weight. Don't forget, don't be quick to move on. Actually, he's called us and he's spoken to us and we must hold that with, with weight and with um, seriousness. It's key that we obey him. So, I'm actually rounding into a close, but I do want to come back to the severity and spe specificity. It's a bit tricky, even for a speech therapist to say. So, earlier, le let me say it in a different way. Earlier... We said that the instruction that um, Samuel gave to Saul was both severe and specific. And that sometimes in the modern age, that can be very, very difficult to understand why God of love would do that. Well, let me explain. See, the Amalekites represented sin and evil because they had raised themselves up against the throne of God. 
And actually, God takes sin very, very, very seriously. He takes that very seriously. When something comes against him, he cannot leave that unpunished. He cannot. And actually, the bad news is that we know that all of us are sinners as well. We have all of us, every single one of us, in our own ways, in our own times, actually raised up against the throne of God. We've said, don't I know better than him? Is that really what he says? I think I've got a better way. I think I know what I'm doing. And actually, that is a serious, serious thing. And God takes that very seriously. And actually, his treatment of that will be very severe, uncomfortably severe. In fact, the Bible talks about hell, a place of endless torment and suffering because he cannot ignore sin like he could not ignore the sin of the Amalekites. But here's the truth, and if you don't know Jesus, this is the good news for you today, and it's the truth for all of us, is that actually God treats sin so seriously, and he sees man's complete inability to do away with it. He sees way that Saul could not, could not really follow through his instruction to destroy sin in his time because he himself was sinful. And so God knew that the only way to deal with sin on this earth was to send a man who wasn't himself sinful. That was the only way to deal with it. And so he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who himself became sin for us, who himself took the punishment that we deserve. And it was severe and it was specific. It was incredibly specific. When you read through the Old Testament, the things that it says about the day that Jesus would die on the cross, it was very specific and it was very severe. He was cut off from God and stricken by him so that he would take the punishment that we all deserve on his shoulders. See, God cannot ignore sin, but he did send Jesus. And that is why today we don't see God telling us to pursue sin in the way that Saul was told to pursue Amalek. That's why. It's not because he doesn't care about sin anymore. It's because he's dealt with it once and for all on the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is why now we can be sent as peacemakers, even to the most sinful people. We can be sent with grace and love because God has dealt with it once and for all. And that is why we have that. That is why we are in a different place. So I do implore you, if you are here today and you don't know Jesus and you don't know what it is to be forgiven from your sin and you know you know that in your heart there are things that are not in line with God and you know that he is calling you. I really implore you not to leave today without seeking him out because actually he is serious about you. He's serious enough about you that that punishment that he was pouring out on Amalek, he actually poured out on his own son so that you wouldn't have to face it, so that I wouldn't have to face it. And so I implore you not to leave without seeking God. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray myself and I'm going to pass back to Vic to tell us what to do next because I'm not very good at that bit. But Lord, I thank you that you are a living God who speaks. God, and I thank you that in a, in a chaotic and broken world, Lord, you call us as your people to be salt and light. God, you call us as your people to hear your heart and to speak it with clarity. God, and you call us to obey. You call us to obey. God, we know that the moment the stakes are high, God, we are reminded God of the severity of our situation, but we're also reminded that you are the God who has never been toppled off your throne. God, we know you're sovereign. Lord, would you call us back to a place of obedience? God, as your church, God, would you call us to be those who would hear your voice and obey in these times? God, in exactly these times, Lord, I pray that we would turn anger, righteous anger, God, into time on our knees before you. God, that you would meld us and break us and change us before your throne, God, because we know that we need it. 
God, we know that we need it. God, I pray that even in response to today, God, we would obey by getting on our knees, God, and seeking you.